Proverbs. And the passage that we'll be hearing from this morning is from Proverbs 1, uh, 1 through 7. So if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn there with me. If you do not have a Bible, there should be a Bible located underneath one of the seats in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible for yourself, consider that as a gift to you from us. Uh, Again, we'll be reading from Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. And once you arrive there, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge, and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Welcome again to Providence. We really appreciate you making us part of your week. Um, my name is Eric. If you don't know me, I serve as the Director of Missions and Outreach, and uh, excited to be with you just to speak from the Word today. Uh, so what I would like to do uh, is just kind of recap a little bit of, of what we've been going through. So like you said, we've been in a series on the Psalms and the Proverbs, and we've been discussing uh, basically, just some different topics, some different emotions we see elicited in the Psalms, uh, like anger, which is what we talked about the past couple of weeks. And then last week, we began to talk about fear. Uh, and what we do is we're talking about uh, fear last week from Psalm 46. And so now we're going to be in the Proverbs today talking about fear as well. And throughout this series, we'll continue to go through some emotions uh, like that. And um, Last week, Court uh, said something that I thought was really good, which kind of leads into this week, and he was talking about fear, and he said that our, our goal is not to uh, basically just get rid of fear at all costs, but rather uh, to redirect fear where it actually belongs. And so uh, we don't want to just eradicate fear completely because fear is a good and healthy emotion that Jesus has given us, right? Uh, but it's got to be directed. What should we be afraid of? What should we fear? There, there, there's a lot of things that we are afraid of we shouldn't be afraid of. But rather, and we just heard there from the Proverbs, which we're talking about today, uh, rather than fearing circumstance or fearing future outcomes that we don't know the answers to uh, or fearing other people, uh, we should fear the Lord. And it is from this that we have all knowledge and wisdom. This is where knowledge and wisdom comes from is in fear uh, of God. And so... Um, I think this is a good topic, and and Court kind of hit on this a little bit, but we have a culture of anxiety. Uh, In in the West, it it is the statistics that I don't have with me are pretty crazy. Uh, The amount of people that are uh, struggle with chronic anxiety and fear and worry uh, compared to past generations is pretty extreme. The amount of people that take medication for their anxiety and their fears is also pretty extreme. Uh, and um, I know there's a lot of real issues. There's diagnosed anxiety and things like that, uh, but we have just a general sense of worry about us, and, and there's a lot of things that we do worry about. I want to talk about some of those things, but my uh, prayer today as we address the Proverbs, and I'm actually going to be going pretty much through all of Proverbs 1, uh, so I'll try to be really quick in my reading, but uh, I'm not going to read I'm just going to kind of break it up into parts, but I want to show us that as we redirect our fear to who we should really fear and what we should really fear, that in doing that, that relieves us of our fears. 
which seems backwards, right? Like, how do you not be afraid? Be very afraid. And, and that's what happens spiritually for us. But we are an anxious people. It is a problem that we have and that most of us statistically struggle with is this overwhelming anxiety about different things in our lives. It could be about your assurance of salvation, right? Does God really love me? I sin so willingly and often I have bad habits that I cannot drop. Could God really forgive someone like me? Uh, Money in provision, will God really provide like he said he would provide? Am I really gonna have enough to survive? Am I really gonna have enough to do and have the things that I want and have the good life that I'm expecting? Children, will God really protect my children? Does he really know better than me what's best for my children and how to raise them? Is God really gonna provide all things that my children need? Maybe it's control. Does God really know, once again, what's best for me? And does he really have control to make sure that like he promises, all things work out for my good because I love him and called according to his purpose? Or would it be better if I had control, if I could control my situations and make sure everything worked out for me and do what I need to do, what I want to do? Maybe it's purpose. Is my life really going to matter? Are people really going to like me? What do they think of me? Do they think highly of me? I hope people think highly of me, right? And I could go on. There's a, there's a, a lot more. And really, I was going after more heart issues. But there's so many things we worry about. Uh, and we dread the outcome of things we don't know and, and what may happen. And the Proverbs, in a very gracious way today, is going to lead us away from that, I pray. Uh, and, and I know that's what God is doing. And so we got a really cool, intense text. I like it. Fear the Lord is what we're talking about. So if you would join me in just praying for that and to that end, and we'll hop into the text. So amen. Let's pray. Father, we are aware that apart from your mercy and grace, that we have no ability to feel what we ought to feel today. We have no ability to to think what we ought to think and, and to hear your word rightly. God, it doesn't exist within us, God, apart from your grace. And so this morning, our simple prayer is, God, would you, would you open our eyes? Would you help our hearts to see your word and rejoice? To look upon our anxieties and be baffled that we ever worried about those things. To look to you, God, and, and be terrified to be terrified and so safe and peaceful at the same time because you are a mighty God. You are a powerful God and you are a good God. I pray against disbelief in those things and I pray, God, that you would keep the schemes of the enemy at bay that they would not stand, that the word would not be robbed from us, God, but that we would see as we ought to see as we prayed. And so, God, help us to fear you. Like a child fears their father, may we fear you as well. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um, Cool. So, uh, I really kind of want to start in verse 7. We did a little bit of intro on the Proverbs two weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that if you need to. But basically, we talked about the, the Proverbs uh, give us 
a lot of practical wisdom and insight into our everyday lives as we live in the Word and as we, we live in the world, right? Uh, we have the Word. We have a lot of commands, uh, the law of God, the things that we ought to be doing, the things we ought to be feeling. Uh, and we talked about how those are good things. The things that God lays out for us in the Bible are good things for us to walk in, and we will find most joy as we walk in these things. And so keep that in mind as we go. Uh, I got just three major points I want to point out. The first one is found in verse 7, which says this again. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I like the Proverbs because they do not hold back from saying it like it is. Uh, it's a good thing. And so, but my first point is that the, the fear of the Lord is our foundation. So Solomon says right here that fearing the Lord, fearing God is the beginning, is the foundation, is the starting point for knowledge and for wisdom. He'll go on to say in Proverbs 9 that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom, knowledge, understanding, uh, life with God, walking with God, being a Christian, the foundational point is that we fear the Lord. You can't jump into the race of being a Christian if you don't fear the Lord. It's the, it's the foundation. It's the beginning. Um, but what does that mean? Because it's, it's an interesting term, right? I mean, we, we read all throughout the Bible that we shouldn't be afraid. That was one of Jesus' favorite phrases, right? Every time that the disciples are in a boat, which happened often, and the storm comes, and they're scared, and they wake Jesus up, and they're worried, he tells them, don't be afraid. And over and over again, he's telling them, God will provide for you. God knows what you need. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't be scared. And all throughout the Bible, you also hear the term, be afraid of the Lord. Be terrified. Fear God. There's no wisdom if you don't fear God. There's only folly. There's only foolishness. There's only destruction if you don't fear the Lord. But what does it mean? Because I think we have to understand practically what it means and not just kind of airy in our heads um, what that means. So I did my best to kind of, how do I want to discuss this? Because it really is a vague term in the Bible. And basically what I want to do is I want to talk about some of the truths uh, that we know about God and how those cannot just be intellectual in our minds, but those have to translate to how we feel, how we interact with God. Um, and so just a few things on this as we kind of move through Proverbs 1. But before we get there, um, first thing is the Lord is terrifying. He is terrifying. He is not a, a tame God. He is not a God that we can make in our minds do exactly what we want and be exactly who we want him to be. He is terrifying. He is different than us, right? Um, he is referred to in the Bible as the destroyer. You would think that's the enemy, but that's a God. He is the destroyer that destroys. He is the same God who is coming back, and when he comes back, he is going to exact vengeance on his enemies, and he will destroy them, it says in the Bible. So he's terrifying. He will judge the world. He would take vengeance on his enemies. He is not mocked. Uh, I want to read Zephaniah, um, which is just a little right-hand turn in your Bible. It's going to be up on the screen as well. I'm really going to test my knowledge in front of you to make sure I know where it's at, all right? So don't time me. I know it's somewhere here. There we go. Uh, Zephaniah chapter 1, starting in verse 14. Um, this is just a little kind of insight into the judgment and wrath and might of God. And this is what Zephaniah says to the people of God during his time. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. 
A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind, this is God, so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. God is mighty. God is terrifying. And this is important because if you gloss over this, and I understand the gospel, and we're obviously getting there. You know, as Christians, we don't have to be terrified, but God is terrifying. God is mighty. God is not like us. God cannot be beaten. God is serious about righteousness and holiness. And we are not righteous, and we are not holy, and therefore that should provide in us a trembling as we approach God. We should not have like a a blithe uh, coming to God. It's like a nonchalantness about us that we just kind of are carefree about God, right? There should be a trembling and a a seriousness and a a, a wonder and amazement about the way in which we approach God. Our God is terrifying. He is mighty. He will destroy all other gods, right? God is also holy, which means God is different, right? God is set apart. It doesn't just mean that he doesn't sin, which that is true, but God is it's just, he's utterly different than us. He's not like us. We are like him in a sense, created in his image, but God is holy, he is different, he is set apart. We cannot compare to him. God is glorious. The Lord is glorious. He is altogether beautiful and honored and good And when we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we should be in awe. We should be amazed at God. We should be astonished at God's presence, amazed at his love and his character. There should be a feeling of wonder and amazement and uh, uh, just an awestruckness about us as we see God, as we behold him, as we read his word. There should not be uh, like we said, a nonchalantness, a sense of the awe of God and who he is. He, God is not merely an idea to be considered in our minds uh, as just uh, some cool thing to think about and some cool thing to teach our, our kids about, but he is God, right? He is all-glorious, all-satisfying, all-loving, eternal, forever and ever, has always existed, always will exist. He is Amazing. The universe and everything in it exists for one purpose, and that is to glorify God and make his name great. That is why you exist. That is why I exist. That is why this planet exists, our solar system, etc. It exists to sing of the glory of God. And it is so easy, <laughs> and God help us, right? It is so easy to talk with God and to, well, it's not really easy to talk with God, but you know what I mean. It's easy to, to talk with him and, and, and open up his word and worship as if he doesn't really matter, as if he's not as glorious as he says he is. And the word, the Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is calling us to be amazed. 
God is terrifying. He is glorious. He is holy. He is set apart. He is righteous. He is all together different than us and beautiful and satisfying and good. And it is not a dreadful fear that we have of God. So we should be both fearful, terrified, amazed, in wonder, in awe, and at the same time, not dreading the presence of God. The Bible says in, in, in 1 Thessalonians that Jesus is coming back for those who are eagerly awaiting his coming. Right? Like we want Jesus. We want more of Jesus. We want him to come. So it's not a dreadful fear. I want to be clear. God is terrifying, but it's not a dreadful fear. We don't dread. It's not cowering. Right? So there's a good fear, a good trembling, but it's not dreadful. Our fear of the Lord does not push us away from him. It terror, it, 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 uh, that was a weird word. I'm not really good with English. Um, but rather, this fear uh, draws us into him. It doesn't repel us. It draws us, right? It, it, our, our fear of God is not something that should keep us away from him, keep us distant from him, keep us unwilling to to be in his presence and come to him, but rather it's, it's the fear of the Lord is a call to come to him, right? Like Peter says when, when Christ asks if he's gonna leave too, where else would we go, right? You have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else to run to. Uh, it's a keen to the relationship of a child and their father. Um, in a sense, uh, there should be a serious fear of the father in the household, right? Like to disobey would not be a good thing, but there's also a significant trust and understanding that I know my dad is wise and knows what's best for me. Um, Charles, uh, or before I go there, Proverbs 14.26 says this. It says, in the fear of the Lord, uh, one has strong confidence and his children will have refuge. And so God says, in fearing me, you will have confidence. And as a child, you have a safe place of refuge from the day of trouble and the calamity, right? God is saying that um, if you fear a God, you are a child of God, you have refuge and safety. So like a child who has a safe relationship, a fearful safe relationship with their father, a reverence, and, and this is what uh, it, it is like, um, Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, Holy fear leads us to dread anything which might cause our Father's displeasure. And so fear, in, in, a, in a way, is a really good sense of safety with the Father. There is a simple trust in the Father because he knows what is right. He knows what is best. He will not do or give anything to us that would harm us, but rather he ever lives and works for our good. And so as a child, we wouldn't dare question or doubt that, but we would have a childlike trust, right? Um, Spurgeon went on in that same sermon to say this. He said, Oh, it is a dreadful thing for us once to get into such a state of heart that we question anything that God does. No, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? It's Genesis 18. It is meet, think you, it's a little bit old English, I apologize for that, to imagine that our Heavenly Father can do anything that is unkind or unwise towards us. It is not possible. The Lord has done it. Let that be your ultimatum. We fear him too much to question what he does. Our reverence of him makes us jealous of ourselves. I love that quote. And so 
basically what he's saying is that this fear of God, this leads to, this leads to an understanding that I, I don't want to grieve my father. I don't want to disobey my father. I don't want to lose the trust of my father. But I am safe there. I can trust him. And whatever happens, whatever he does, I can have peace and security and safety that it is good, right? That he is working all things out for my good. It's kind of like the best analogy I've heard uh, was uh, an analogy about a mountain. And so just picture you're climbing up a mountain. I love hiking. It's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, We obviously have tons of mountains here. You can pick the humble dump. You can pick one of the highways that go up over, you know, one of those for sure. Uh, But imagine you're in a beautiful place. You're hiking up a mountain. It is awesome, right? The mountains are huge. I mean, they're just glorious. If you've ever been on like a huge mountain, it's it's insane, right? Uh, So imagine you're hiking, really enjoying it. It's beautiful. You're in amazement. This is awesome. I feel so small during this moment as I'm on this mountain. You could die if I fell off a cliff. Um, But all of a sudden, there's a big storm that rolls through, and it's very scary. There's a lot of clouds. It comes really fast. You're on a mountain, so you can't get down fast. It's not like you could drive up there, right? You're climbing, and so now you have to get down, and you are terrified because the storm is coming in. It's scary, and then you find a little place to hide inside of the rocks, and as soon as you hide in the rocks, this powerful storm overtakes you completely, but you are safe in the rock, I'm sure you see where that's going, but that is the fear of God. It's not that the storm couldn't kill me. It's not that the storm maybe won't kill me, right? Uh, but there is an amazement and a wonder about God, but as this terrifying, this terrifyingness, which is not really a word, but this, this holy fear of God is, is absolutely scary. It's absolutely amazing and beautiful, and we are absolutely safe inside of it. It is a paradox, which the Christian life is full of these things, Right? It's full of these paradoxes that to the uh, naked eye or to just the, the mind just does not make sense to be together. We are both terrified of God and we are both totally safe in him, right? And, and those things go together in a perfect way. And you can only understand that and know that in knowing the fear of the Lord. And that's what God is calling us to. So there's extreme fear and wonder and extreme comfort and peace in the same moment with God. And so that is the foundation of our Christian walk. If you try to walk uh, the Christian life without this amazement and this fear and this wonder of who God is, the Christian life will be miserable for you. That's why Paul says, listen, if this is all a lie, we are most to be pitied. People should be sorry for us. Our life sucks if uh, it's not true. But if it is, what joy do we have in the Lord? And obviously, it's true. Um, going back to Proverbs 1, I didn't keep my spot. It was an amateur move, so i got to find it again. It just happens sometimes. Okay, cool. Made it. Okay, so uh, the second thing is, so not only um, is the fear of the Lord the foundation of our faith, of our joy, of our comfort, uh, but the fear of the Lord is our protection. Now, starting in verse 8, I want to walk through some of this. Um, so this is Solomon speaking to his son and giving him wisdom about the world and about sin and about not going off into sin, though it's enticing. And this is what he says to his son, starting in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son... If sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. 
like shale or the grave. Let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall find our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us and we will all have one purse. Now this might not be enticing to you. You probably didn't think this morning when you woke up that I would love to just find someone in an alley catch them off guard, beat them, and take their stuff, okay? I'm sure you weren't thinking that when you first got up, but the point is, and what Solomon is, is creating in his son right here is this understanding of the allurement of sin. Now, this chapter particularly focuses on greed, unjust gain, right? Getting things that aren't yours, this coveting, but this, make no mistake, applies to all of our enticements, all of our temptations to sin, And what is happening right here is Solomon and God through the Bible is saying, listen, sin sounds great. It's enticing. Anyone in here says, nope, I don't want it ever. I never sin. The Bible calls you a liar, right? Sin entices us in the most subtle and most compelling ways. And Solomon, as a father, is pleading, don't listen to it. He goes on in verse 15 is what he says. My son Do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessor. And so... Solomon and God, once again, through his word, is making a plea, don't walk there. Do, do not, it's kind of this like step process, right? He says, don't put your foot on the path. And then it says, and they run to do evil. As we put our foot on the path, as we step in, as we dip our toe into sin, we run headlong into sin is what happens. And Solomon is pleading with his son, don't do it. Don't listen to him. Don't be enticed by that. You know their end, Right? It says that they're setting up a trap for others, but in the end, they set up a trap for their own blood. They get caught in their own trap. They desire these possessions, but instead of owning the possessions, the possessions end up owning them. It works backwards. Instead of getting that gratification that you think you will get inside of your sin and disobedience to God, you now get the exact opposite is what happens. Instead of you getting that thing that you wanted, that thing gets you, possesses you destroys you and I hear like the pleadings of other texts one text I thought of was out of uh first Peter 2 11 which says beloved I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul so what the book of Proverbs is doing in the holy fear of God is trying to show us the passions of the flesh, the enticement of sin, the desire to walk off without the fear of God into disobedience of God's word is waging war against your soul. It's after you to possess you and to keep you from fearing the Lord. But it is by the fear of the Lord, if we're gonna go on to see here in the rest of this, that we put to death the deeds of the body, that we say no to the temptation. So it's not an accident that it follows right after this. Solomon says, the beginning of wisdom and knowledge is to fear the Lord. Therefore, 
Don't go off into sin. Don't go with those people that would try to convince you to go off into sin with them. This bad company of sinners, this temptation to sin, don't do it because it's waging war against your soul. I love, uh, I always reference Narnia because I'm just a child at heart. I'm going through it with my kids right now. But there's a book called The Silver Chair that C.S. Lewis wrote. It's right, it's like the, the sixth out of seven, I think, books. And it's this really cool saying that I've, I've been waiting to use in this sermon for a long time. So uh, it's pretty awesome. But uh, it was really encouraging to me because, so there's this silver chair that the witch has, okay? It's the representation of evil in the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, there's a prince that has been lost. And the book kind of starts where, and I'm sorry if I'm ruining this for you if you want to go read it later, but it's still going to be just as awesome, okay? Uh, but there's like a, this prince that they're going to look for, this whole like brigade, this whole, you know, they're going to look for this prince that's lost. Uh, no one knows where he's at. Uh, and he is like, they end up like doing a lot of these weird things. They end up in a cave and they end up finding this guy who's in a silver chair. And he is chained to this silver chair and they begin to dialogue with him and uh, he is just talking about how awesome the queen is. The queen has uh, basically took him from nothing and has made him this awesome, like, king. He's going to be a king. He's going to rule over all these people. He's just going on and on about how great the queen is and how awesome it is and how his life's going to be amazing, which seems weird because he's chained to a chair, right? Uh, but he's just so deceived that, like, everything is awesome. And what is happening is you realize that he's under a spell. He's under a spell, and he's under the queen spell, obviously, and uh, he thinks she is awesome, but there is a, a hindrance to this spell, and what happens is uh, one hour every night, basically from like uh, midnight to one o'clock or something like that, uh, he comes out of that trance, and that's why he's chained to a chair, because he's going to come out of that trance, and all of a sudden he's gonna, his eyes are going to be open, and for one hour he's going to understand exactly, and he says before he comes out of this trance, he tells them, whatever I say to you, do not let me out of this chair. Make sure I stay in this chair. Do not let me out. And then as soon as he snaps out of it, he starts screaming and pleading for help, right? Because he realizes all the wrongness of what's going on. He realizes his sin. It's this really strange and cool moment of repentance in the Chronicles of Narnia. And he's screaming and he's pleading, let me out, please, 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 let me out, let me out. And they're like, I don't know if we should let this guy out. He seems kind of crazy now. And then they eventually do let him out. And it ends up being the prince. And the story's awesome from there. It just keeps getting better. But I love that analogy because... This is what happens in the word of God and in the fear of God. There's something that changes, right? And it's not something that we have done. It's something supernatural. And we're going to read a story in a little bit where this kind of happens. But God, in the fear of God, God opens our minds and our hearts to understand the realities of the enticement of sin in our lives. And that does something amazing to us where now it flips and all we can do is just plea for the grace of God. So in the fear of God, in this very unique way, we are offered protection from the temptation of sin that is waging war against our soul. And without the fear of God, you will not care. Why would you care? Why would you be afraid to sin, right? Why would you be afraid to grieve the Holy Spirit that is in you? Because you wouldn't be. But as the fear of God comes in and Solomon uses this as the anchor to plead with his son to not say yes to it, to not give in to the temptation to sin. And I don't know if anyone's in that situation. You know, uh, I've been in times in life where it just seems like I just can't get out of certain patterns and certain habits that I have that I know is wrong. And God just says, fear me, the fear of the Lord. There is protection. There is freedom. And God offers that today. So not only does he, um, is it our foundation, but as we fear him, we are protected. And then also, uh, the fear of the Lord is our peace. 
Let's look at verse 20. We're going to walk through some of that, and we're going to move kind of quickly. But um, starting in verse 20, he continues, and we talked about this. Uh, wisdom is kind of personified as a person, uh, which could sometimes in the Proverbs more or so represent Christ, and at other times just kind of represent the general idea of wisdom. But uh, nonetheless, wisdom is going to be talking here and personified as a person, but it's not necessarily a person, but Christ is our wisdom, so keep that in mind. Uh, verse 20, uh, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you, and I will make my words known to you, because I have called you, and you refuse to listen. You have stretched out, or I have stretched out my hand, and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel, and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you, like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have the fill of their own devices, for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. I want to stop right there before the last verse. So wisdom goes on to paint this picture of someone who is not heeding the wisdom of the Lord as God cries out to flee from sin, to fear him, to come to him, right, and find eternal peace, eternal joy. As wisdom cries out, there will be many that won't listen. And in this text, God is showing us the reality of our sins, is giving a clear call to turn away from that into repentance. Um, and he also discusses the judgment that if we don't turn from our sin and believe and come to him. So God, uh, and there's so many cool things in the text that I want to point out that I won't for the sake of, of time, but basically um, God points out, he gives this call to repentance, this call to come to him, this call to let go of the sin, uh, to rejoice in him. And it says things like they'll be laughed at, they'll search for wisdom and won't be able to find wisdom. Why? Because they did not choose the fear of the Lord, but rather they chose to the enticements of sin. Rather they chose to not take the Lord seriously. Rather they chose to go off and, and do whatever to harden their hearts. That's why the Bible is always giving calls. Like if you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts, but, but come to him. Don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to repent. It's not next week. It's not tomorrow. It's not after I go and live my life the way I want to. Then I'll come to the Lord later. No, it's now. If you hear his voice, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Lord says. He's calling you into himself. And it's powerful. But then in verse 33, if you heed the voice of God, this is what it says. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Let's read that slowly one more time. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. I pray 
in the fear of God that that speaks to your anxiety. I pray in the fear of God that that speaks to your fear. It is in the fear of God that our fears are extinguished. It is in the holy and righteous fear of our Lord Jesus Christ that we can say, no disaster will overtake me. I can be at ease and believe. I have strong confidence and he is my refuge. It is only in that happening that we will be free from our fear. When fear is in its proper place, we have true everlasting peace that doesn't dread God doesn't dread disaster, doesn't worry, but rather trust in his goodness and strong hand to work out everything for your good. I want to read one more text, and I will close, I promise. Um, I just want, I want to give an example of Christ like we did last time in the Proverbs. And in Luke chapter 5, which I did mark my place for this one, so you don't have to turn there. It's going to be on the screen. Um, this really quick story with Peter, um, I'm just going to read it, and, and we'll talk about it. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gisenaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out from them, and they were washing the nets. So this is Jesus. He's about to speak to people. He sees some boats. Um, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, who is Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down on the boat, and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will. Um, oops, I turned the page. Just kidding. Well, there we go. I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to the other partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now check this out. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. And I love that story because uh, what happens in this moment is it's, it's really not about the fish. Yes, that was a cool miracle, right? Uh, and I'm sure that would have been astonishing to have that happen. You're working all day and, and, and all of a sudden you, you cast out because he tells you to and there's an innumerable amount of fish that are sinking your boat. But in that moment, there's something that happens inside of Peter. Now he's gonna go on to learn more and more about who Christ is. But in this moment, Peter went from no maybe a respect he said okay master and that just meant like teacher because you have said so I'll do it that was out of respect but there was no fear of God in Peter but in that moment through that scenario and that miracle all of a sudden something happens in Peter where he says depart from me depart from me Lord I am sinful Peter became simultaneously aware of the holiness and the um, uh, just the awe of who Jesus was and at the same time, just the littleness and unworthiness of who he was, so much so that he says, depart from me, <laughs> get away from me. I'm not worthy to even be near you. Uh, and then those comforting words of Christ that gives him both purpose and protection and comfort and what God has called him to do is don't be afraid. 
Peter is afraid, and God says, don't be afraid, um, though you should be afraid as well, but don't be afraid. I will make you a fisher of men. And I love that. And Jesus, in the same way, is doing that for us. Guys, it starts, that's the foundation. It starts from there. It starts from God, which is a supernatural experience. It's not something that we just muster up. And it's from the fear of God that we begin to walk with God and we find true protection. We find relief from our anxieties. We find comfort, eternal comfort in who he is forever and ever. And God offers that today freely for us. God says, come, listen, hear my words. Come to me and believe. And so he offers us these gracious words. Whether we're worried about money and provision, whether we're worried about if we're in Christ, whether we're worried about control in our life or the purpose of our life or what people think about us or we're so anxious about our children, about our family, about our well-being, about our desires, about how this life is going to work out for us. Um, And all of those things God has many promises for. But the promise today is fear the word of the Lord. Fear God himself and you will have eternal peace. That's what God offers us today. Amen. So I would like to pray for us and just ask God to, uh, to do this inside of us. Um, so if you guys would join me in prayer, um, and then, then we'll move on from there. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. We know that your word gives us many warnings to fear you. Jesus, your own words, you said, don't fear those who could kill the body, but rather fear him who could kill both your body and soul in hell. And so we know, God, that you are mighty. We're not worthy. God, we feel what Peter felt. Depart from us. We're sinful. But God, we can't help but remember the cross. The amazement of the cross and what you did for us. Jesus, the mighty God, you died in our place. Took on our sinfulness and gave us your righteousness. And we are now free from the dread and the wrath That should hang over our heads. And now we have a different kind of fear. We have a fear that strengthens us. We have a fear that emboldens us. A fear, God, that keeps us close to you and not far from you. I pray for those who have been dealing with anxiety. And in their anxiety, have not been fearing you, but rather fearing the things of the world. God, would you deliver them from that fear? By the fear of you. God, would we embrace the peace that you offer us today, the joy that you offer us today because of your mercy and your grace. Oh God, draw us near, not far. Draw us near unto you and open our eyes, God. It's supernatural. Only you can do it. And we ask that you would. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.